0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with Inspector Imanishi investigates chapters fourteen to the end. Here on your murder mystery world tour, Herds. We're at the end of our first book for the year.
1: Yeah, that's that's what we're going to call it—the first book of the year. That's that's what we're calling this. That's that's all this book means to you, Flex.
0: Well, I mean, what, what else what do you want me
1: to call it? <laughs> the the craziest book you'll ever read
0: in your life. This book uh, I really call is it ridiculous. That. <laughs> Hertz, first of all, I'd like to congratulate yep. you. You've scored uh-huh. two of your three available points. Two? That's right. I don't get a third one. Well, I mean, you weren't far off oh, on, on, on your third point, but boom. I did ask you to guess what a couple of extra clues for, and oh, you no. could not name for me what the debt history of Japan was Oh, come was for. on.
1: As if I was supposed to guess it, it was the frequencies that the murderer used to kill people with his ultrasonic peddler deterrent device.
0: Which is officially the name of the murder weapon. What? I, I mean, yeah, it is a very ridiculous weapon. It is the most device-exiest <laughs> weapon there possibly could be. I, I haven't found a worse one. Let's put it that way. I think I've, I've run across a couple of worse ones, but in uh, novels that are, you know, blatantly trying to do something more science sure, fiction This sure. novel here leans on credibility until suddenly it doesn't. You know what,
1: you're right. Shout out to robots. Um, yeah, I I feel like this novel had a really rough landing at the end. And mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not really sure what to attribute it to, because not only do it confirmation that it is in fact a an ultrasonic device, but that it's not it's not like a gun. Like that's what I was expecting. It's not a weapon. It's was, it's, was, just... it's just his
0: room. He like pumps he pumps the bass so loud that it makes you feel sick. But then he also commits murders like out in the field which would mean that he'd need a portable speaker that was well, the, also capable I, of these frequencies. I believe frequencies. the
1: explanation was that he had brought these people back to his place, given them the treatment, and then shipped them out or put them on a bus. I'm talking about Miata specifically yeah. here. I don't think we get that much detail on Emiko. Just well, no. That, and this is so Miata,
0: Miata comes to his place to confront sure. him. So that one's fine. It's is more, it? Yeah. Okay, sure. I mean, as fine as you can be and with And then
1: Emiko apparently is also blasted with the sound waves, Like, I assume that also had to happen. Her Her her
0: baby is blasted with the sound waves. Whatever. To induce an abortion. So stupid. It's so, so awful.
1: I thought, I want to be clear. I thought that my explanation of someone like putting a sonic gun to her belly made more sense than this. Because the explanation (laughs) is not that the sound waves like caused her to to die, like cause internal bleeding or whatever. It's that she got sick and then went home and fell over. Yeah. Like, I just don't. I, it's, it feels very unsatisfying. I think is really how I feel about it. The bes- perspective here is that the killer has only actually killed one person intentionally in the whole story. That's right. With this music gun, sorry, not music gun. It's a music gun. development. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> repellent. <laughs> music repellent. And he feels that that's enough to start taunting the police, supposedly. But we also don't get a proper confession from Waga. Nope. What we get instead is this long diatribe from Imanishi. Uh, Explaining everything, which is fine. It's all right. I'm okay with that. I don't mind the detective, especially in a novel where he's characterized by his like determination to go and do everything that he can to bring the criminal to justice. He is due his moment in the limelight. Definitely. And of course, thematically, we carry on in the final, final scene here at the airport where they're going to like go and arrest Swagger. And I like this scene. I thought it was fine. Imanishi turns to his Watson companion and says, You go
0: arrest him. You deserve the credit. You know, the future belongs to the young which I think is kind of cool. And it is a theme of the general story as a whole. Like that's yes. that's why Waga and uh, these other young folks, including Sekigawa are, you know, <laughs> yep. the, the new Vo, the yeah. new wave.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's why Waga kills his old man Uh, because he's taking over from the old.
0: Yeah, I think overall, the thing that really impresses me about this book is that it is so good despite its flaws. Yeah. Like, it breaks so many of the standards of murder mystery. Mm -hmm. It's very unfair in terms of what it expects for you in the ending. Like, it basically... The the entire linchpin of this crime is just, did you notice the ad for the ultrasonic can? Yes. That is, like, the only thing you really have to settle the final piece of evidence. Yeah. And... Despite all of that, it's still just a really fun read. Mm -hmm. Um, It's landing sticks in a way because when you get to it, especially if you've noticed the ultrasonic cannon, you're like, oh my God, he didn't. He did. He did it. <laughs> it's actually real. Yeah. And it's bizarre. That that moment for me was so satisfying because I was like, oh, we've 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 done the ultimate gag crime yeah. in a very serious murder mystery book. And it doesn't feel like it's unaware of that. No. It, it's just having fun with a story about the young and the old going at each other with technologies that the old don't understand. Yeah. And if you look at it through that lens, I think it does it effectively, sure. even if the mystery is a mess. I
1: I, I would agree. I still think this was a, an entertaining novel to read. H- having a lot of the clues as to the fact that it's that Waga is the killer, mm. being fed through the thematics of the story and the way that he is characterized and the way that Sakigawa is characterized. I really enjoyed picking apart those scenes between the two of them yeah. uh, and following the Nouveau group just to see which of them seemed the sketchiest uh, and which one was obviously the red herring, which I'm pretty happy I picked that one. Yeah, yeah, and
0: I think it was good because, you know, there's a very weird problem with that motive of the young versus the old, sure. where so much of this novel is characterized by the old guys doing the right thing you know they're indulging in the old-fashioned haikus and their Mm -hmm. bonsai plants Mm -hmm. whereas all these new kids are out and getting into those american things the arts the theater the electronic music i know know. unbelievable say it ain't so it almost kind of puts it in a way it's like you know what you young people should have your revenge but here's (laughs) the way to do it Right? Yeah. Get a bit of justice instead of a bit of murder, mm. and there's something there's something just kind of enjoyably goofy about that, and why the switch up from Sekigawa to Waga feels well earned For because sure. we've seen Sekigawa try to do the best in this weird, out of touch young guy way that Seicho Matsumoto seems to be writing him in.
1: Yeah, well, he's a he's a weird character in that he's both a tragic hero, but also a total scumbag, and I kind of like it. Um, like, not that I like that kind of person, but I like the way that he's written because I, I did feel sympathy for him. I yeah. felt sympathy. Uh, and, and I think it's mostly due to how his love for Emiko is reciprocated mm-hmm. and how we almost get to see him through her eyes because when we're in those scenes, we we get a lot more dialogue from Emiko and a lot more of what she's feeling, I think, yeah. than what Sakigawa is feeling. And that's partly to prolong the mystery, obviously, but mm-hmm. it also serves to show that if... You know, if Emiko can love this dirt bag, then, you know, maybe we can too. And of course, that's a mistake because it gets a killed. It Unbelievable. It gets a, killed by sound Soundgun. Foolish. A, a modern day fable, an
0: Aesop. Yeah. There, Watch out for sound guns. It, it's, it's something really weird about it because it does get its point across really well. But also, if you actually look at its point critically, its point is so self-contradictory. Sure. But you just kind of get what Seicho Matsumoto is going for. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like that about it. Yeah, I think the other thing before we move on and talk about the mystery that I don't think we've mentioned so far is that Seicho Matsumoto was the president of the Mystery Writers of Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, we've looked at Seishi Yokomizo, we've looked at Edogawa Rampo, we've looked at Keigo Higashino, all of whom have their roots in that Mystery Writers of Japan group. And I think that of all of them, Seicho Matsumoto was the one whose influence I have retrospectively recognized the least. Like, you know, all of the others, I've seen the influence that they've had more broadly on the genre uh, in terms of very specific moments or specific details or specific approaches to things. Mm. But I think that at least from this one isolated case, I think that Seicho Matsumoto seems to have brought a... Credible levity to the genre in Japan that a lot of the other authors I've looked at from that period lacked. Like Rampo had a lot of levity, but it was like grotesque and out-of-the-box humor, right? Yep. Seishi Yokamizo was levity in terms of like, oh my gosh, guys, isn't this genre fun? Whereas Seicho Matsumoto managed to write a story that is just enjoyable despite everything that's going on in it that you could critique. Um, sure. And I think that that's something that when you look at, for example, uh, Keigo Higashino's work, who's a much more modern mystery writers of Japan author, you can see that his writing is like horrific in terms of what's happening, but it's still such a blast to read. And I think that's kind of where Seicho Matsumoto has stamped his foothold in the history of Japanese murder mystery fiction.
1: I definitely felt that this novel did a good job of of kind of balancing that sense of of levity with the sort of realistic tone of the novel, for the most part, at least. Uh, science fiction, be damned, as they say. <laughs> um, but you know, maybe there are some more novels out there that we might uh, we might delve into that might be a little bit even more absurd than what we've had so far. Something that really embraces the absurdity of the human mind. Oh goodness, something a bit scary. I think I know so, what we're in for. i yeah, looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Seicho Matsumoto's Inspector Imanishi investigates from 1961, chapters 14 to the end of that story. We'll be back with a little discussion more in-depth on this mystery. Coming up at the end of the show, you're listening to Death of the Reader on 2SER Windows 7.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing Inspector She Investigates today, but also Hurts. Oh, Flex! We announced at the end of review season we have a little bit of a project going on this year. Yes. And by little bit of a project, I mean enormous monstrosity. I was going
1: to say something that's going to take up way too much time and be stressful and anxious driven, anxiety driven even, but it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful.
0: So we thought we would bring in our uh, enemy and collaborator, (laughs) Sean Britton. My arch nemesis. (laughs) To talk a little bit. Listen,
1: listen to that maniacal laugh. He knows, he knows he's out for me. I can tell already. Here we go. (laughs)
0: Sean, welcome to the show. It's good to have you back on. Oh, mate. Absolute pleasure. Now, I should tease, in a few weeks, we're going to be getting you to solve a mystery, so I hope mm-hmm. you're ready for that. We'll tell you now as a little special preview in a few books' time we're going to be doing And Then w- There Were None with Sean in the hot seat because Herds and I both know that it's mystery. True. Back to front. Sean, we wanted to bring you in just to talk a little bit bit about this book project that we're doing because we've been very vague in terms about it and we figured <laughs> that since we're roping you into the show, since you're the arch nemesis whose points uh, have been have been baiting herds true. Uh, this entire time, what is it you want to know about this book and I guess where, sh- where should we start, Sean? Well, that's what I want to know.
2: I mean, <laughs> uh, I've been hearing about this book, I've been hearing about this project as, uh, as an upcoming thing from the two of you and uh, where is it? <laughs> <Or
0: is it? laughs> so we are serializing this book herds mm. which means we're going to be posting it online yeah kind of chapters or chapter at a time as we go piece by
1: piece on the internet in the virtual space as it were
0: now, the reason the first chapter isn't out at the moment is because we're currently in talks to get a publisher on the show to talk mm. a little bit about the implications of serializing novels in yeah. the modern day. Because as we've covered on the show, there's books like The La Rouge Case and a lot of the early mm. Sherlock Holmes stories that were serialized. But in the modern day, it's a lot more difficult to kind of work around the legalities of just posting things on the internet
1: we want to understand the legal ramifications of just putting our creative work online in free spaces before we start doing it i think that's something that all you know creatives out there can kind of learn about if you're not even if you are protected by some an organization that you're publishing under you want to be sure of where you stand before you start putting out work
2: i have seen a lot more people doing this in this day the serial novel online Mm -hmm. you know as an alternative to traditional publishing uh, where people are releasing these things bit by bit um, mm-hmm. yeah and, and and putting this out in their own some of them have gone on to traditional publishing after they've actually uh, you know been created been actually put out there for the original audience but uh yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a different approach that perhaps not as many people are familiar with. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think the other thing that should be fun is that part of the reason that we're doing this is not so much so that we get the opportunity to write our own story, as much as we love <laughs> that idea, but it's also to guinea pig ourselves so that we can talk a little bit about the world of publishing yeah. and getting a book written in the modern day. Yeah, mm. well that's
1: that's such a big part of it, right? You know, publishers on, authors on, editors on. We want to talk about the the back end, the backstage of the performance that is creating. A novel, a murder mystery novel, and teach everyone about it, you know?
2: Although, in saying that about this uh, performance from the two of you, I understand Mm. there will be some audience interaction.
0: Yeah. So up on the social media and also each time we get a guest on uh, the show, we're going to be having you know little polls up on, say, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter voting mm. on uh, what's going to happen in the next chapter. Where's it going to be set? Who's going to show up? Uh, mm. Throwing a spanner in the works for us. And also at the end of today, Sean, we're going to be asking you completely out of uh, just cold <laughs> turkey what's happening in the upcoming chapters. And uh, I think I think that should be a good bit of fun because it also mm. means that it becomes a living, breathing beast where we don't have as much control of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got a a basis, we've got a foundation that is more or less solid, but we want to flesh out the details with you, with Sean, with everyone we have on the show this year.
2: Mm, It's going to flex my creative muscles, clearly, uh, (laughs) here on the program as well. Obviously, you know, murder mysteries can take place anywhere, Mm. anytime. You know, I've read a few of my, my own that sort of, you know, obviously the classics take place in the classical period but yeah. they can take place anytime so is this one sort of compatible do you think the genres
0: are kind of compatible together murder mysteries and and cyberpunk so i guess the approach to cyberpunk that we've we've taken at least in the introduction though it'll we'll kind of tease it out as we go is uh is more that we treat these murder mystery rules Knox and van dyne on the show as crucial and we want to teach you the rules of this sci-fi mm-hmm. world so that when something happens, you're not going, well, hold on, what about this thing? You know, we've got a, a computing expert as a technical consultant who we maybe will have on the show down the line, though. Mm-hmm. Got to get approval for that uh-huh. from some bigwigs Scary. that I can't talk about. Scary. <laughs> so we, we're going big in on the technical accuracy. And also with the cyberpunk, I wanted to kind of take a bit of a different approach to it where it's, uh, it, it's more, I guess, a less apocalyptic neuromancer. Mm. if you're familiar with it so it's all about these virtual worlds things being controlled by corporations which i know is really out of touch with the present day um wow (laughs) calling out 2021 (laughs) like that how could you flex um Um, (laughs) but but also looking at because this is uh if you're a bit of a computing geek, this, this is the version of reality where Linux wins mm. things are created and modified and generated by their users. So even though it is this very corporately legislatively controlled future space, there is a bit of flexibility in how we work. And it's more founded on some of the fundamentals uh, of computing and digital spaces than it yeah. is on the philosophy of the grand possibility. Mm. Yeah.
2: I mean, the one that springs to mind, obviously when you talk about the virtual spaces is, uh, Ready Player One, mm-hmm. which uh, was a pretty great movie, pretty lousy book, uh, if I had to say so. Um, <laughs> interesting. That's interesting an, opinion, take. <laughs> an opinion I won't rebut. We don't have that kind of time. No. Uh, 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 uh. Any other sort of inspirations on this one?
0: Uh, well, I've been uh, I've been reading a bit of uh, William Gibson and mm. Snow Crash. Uh, I think one when of my f- favorite
2: books yeah. of all time is Snow Crash. It absolutely is in my
0: top five. Yeah, and when we were first kind of throwing this idea around, we were actually talking a bit about uh, how you would do a murder mystery in Star Wars. Yep, was where the original was the the pitch came from.
1: Unfortunately, we can't use those legal properties. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, I feel like
1: on on my end, I oh, know I don't feel like there's a specific property that inspires me. Like I. I, when it comes to Cyberpunk, most of my influence is, again, through video games, from my you know, my game design background. And I feel like what I want to kind of focus on is, is you know, if you associate one word with Cyberpunk, it's, it's transhumanism, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea that technology will bring us to a point where we overcome our mortal coils, we overcome what it means to be human. But do we really? And that's the question. Yeah, I, f- I feel like a lot of kind of modern cyberpunk stories whether they be games books movies whatever tend to focus on the superficialities at least most of the ones that I've you know paid attention to um if you know big cyber arms and dirty jacks plugged into the skull and stuff like that and I guess I want to take a kind of I guess a, a cleaner more focused look mm. and kind of bring it back to the the themes of cyberpunk rather than those superficial kind of visual uh intricacies I guess yeah yeah,
0: yeah. well Sean the uh the scene that we've written up to at the moment we've uh We've got our character situated. They've had a little discussion about the shape of the world and how it led to uh, where we got to today, the antitrusts, as we call them, where the one corporation that uh, ran this virtual space was divided by Mm -hmm. governments of the world. Uh, And we kind of wanted to go into the next scene uh, where we're actually exploring the crime scene a bit. And Mm -hmm. we're going to meet our victim inside their own memories at a certain location what is that location?
2: Oh well look I the first thing that springs to mind would be your coffee shop sort mm-hmm. of down mm-hmm. the down the local coffee shop beginning that sort of transition to the day beginning that sort of transition towards waking up giving yourself a nice uh, cup of synth coffee and mm-hmm. uh, a nice cup and of a yeah. yeah.
0: bit of bit of just a morning
2: ritual. Or are we there to meet someone? Or look, I feel like there is a ritual uh, aspect to that one. You know, they, you you got a nice little connection with the 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 calf maker. You don't <laughs> it's, it's, uh, don't need to overstate anything. Nothing too okay, obvious, okay. just part of the ritual.
0: And then and then finally, if something was to happen during this morning ritual to uh, throw a spanner in and suggest that something bad may happen later in the day. What, what's our sign on the horizon? What's what's happening?
2: Um, uh, some sort of accident happening outside. Some sort of you know, yeah, you know, collision, Riding. collision outside the uh, outside the coffee shop itself.
0: Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Last thing before we let you go, you did have points on the board when we ended at the end of last year, and it's the a- agreement that Herds and I made is we were dividing these chapters written based on how many points we each had. Are you, Sean Britton? Able to come on later in this journey and write us a chapter of pure Sean Britton action, I I would be honoured.
2: Uh, yeah, that would be an absolute pleasure. As I say, big 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 fan. I would I would be very happy to to put something together. righty. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, Sean, thank you one final time for joining us here on Death of the Reader this week. Thank you to listening as we are discussing our little project here, as well as Inspector Imanishi Investigates, which we'll be back into in more of a second. If you want to find out anything more about the project at Flex and Herds, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is the place to go. Can't wait to see you there. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Inspector Iminishi Investigates is the book. Seicho Matsumoto is the author. You're listening to Death of the Reader here on 2SER and herds mm. you have scored yourself 2 of the available 3 points for our first triple or nothing whatever. round
1: whatever i'm never going to get full points it's never happening again this is the year of well i i negative hope, points
0: i hope this year is the year that none of us get full points because <laughs> then it you know then there's more weight to uh-huh. each game uh-huh. if we're s- scoring full each time then it's like okay you know they're just you're gonna get just their points the and get to the end yeah, wait, whereas wait, wait, now wait, wait, wait. you have more opportunity to play games instead okay. of giving me one point for the mystery you can divide the true. mystery up and give me the hardest pieces. it's of true point. i
1: could do that i could just play with your poor mind
0: it could happen you could i bet you <laughs> haven't even considered what you're going to do for the mystery in three points no, I, divide for next next I book. Have,
1: i have some ideas
0: but okay. we'll, we'll okay. get there when
1: we get there, we'll get there when we i
0: don't even know what it is yet we're yeah, going yeah, to find out at the it. end of this segment so stick around for that Now, Herds, Mm. obviously the thing with Seicho Matsumoto's Inspector Imanishi Investigates is, Mm. as we've said, that it is a massive device X. Yeah, It is a sound gun that makes you sick and maybe kills you. It's not
1: even a gun. I mean, that's obviously the thing that is the most bizarre because, you know, it's this rule that you should have a a direct murder. You know, when somebody kills someone, you kill them directly. The way that the device X is framed in this story, it is... Not even necessarily a murder weapon. It's mm-hmm. just a device that makes you feel very ill and want to go away. That's what the device actually does. And so it's like breadth of what it can do and what we can actually expect from it is so broad. It's why w- when I came up with my solution last week when I said, yeah, okay, so I'm going to say that the last three people were all killed by directly being shot by the by the music gun. Mm-hmm. That made sense to me. That made sense to me as like a clean solution um, nice and personal. But the reality is much broader, much more mutable. Um, only one character was actually even killed in this way. The others were all, like, accidentally killed or killed themselves. Yeah, uh, In a story which is about conflict between the young and the old yeah. and, and the way that that kind of – the way that, that happens, I think that he does not do a very good job of – of implementing the young parts of the story, like mm-hmm. the electronic music and the sonic gun, which is clearly like he wants to, he wanted to, you know, if, if he was a young man who could use his artistic talent to kill someone, yeah. you know, it's the equivalent of a writer writing a book where if you like, or, or a story where like, if you write someone's name in a book, then yeah. they die. Right. It's that same sort interesting of interesting like
0: reference that pff,
1: I, not, to nothing in particular, <laughs> but like, it, it's that same idea. You know, you got this childlike, thought of, like, if I could use my own artistic ability, my own innate yeah. talents to, like, do anything and I had to evolve a murder in this somewhere. Yeah. Like, ooh, a music gun. That sounds, like, fun.
0: Which, which in um, a way, is actually kind of ahead of its time because if sure. you look at certain stories like The Prestige, uh, mm. which most people might know from the Nolan film. What a bizarre uh, movie. Both of the original and the movie deal with different interpretations of how someone taking their art too far sure. can go wrong and what are the mm. kind of ethical... Yeah and social implications of that. And I think that in some ways, Seicho Matsumoto was actually very ahead of the curve in trying to do that in this book. It's just that he didn't have as much of a wealth of... Uh, other contemporaries doing the same thing to kind of pull ideas from. So his idea feels weird and out of place. Yeah.
1: And it should be said that this, this novel also does a really good job of tackling the idea of, of celebrities and the mm. public life vers- versus the private life. Yeah. As much as Sekigawa, like everything that Sekigawa does to try and hide his, his lover Emiko from, from the public just ends up hurting their relationship more yeah. and ends with her losing her life. And I really enjoy the way uh, the way that Imanishi investigates kind of tries to shine a, a spotlight on the dangers of 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 fame without making it just a paparazzi thing. Yes. Because that's the usual avenue that we take. But instead we take a kind of subtler approach that there's these like backroom dealings mm. um, between Sekigawa and Waga that, you know, Sekigawa can, you know, use Waga's magic music gun. I hate to mention <laughs> it.
0: But he can use his music
1: gun... Uh, if Sekigawa writes a, a fluff piece for Waga's work mm-hmm. when previously he's hated it. Yeah. And to us, and I, to most people, like at least with critically-minded people reading this, um, will will realize, I mean, even in the fictional story, we'll realize that like this is a complete and utter backflip. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. Like it's super duper see-through. But this is the sort of thing that people do all the time. You know, yeah. you, you do one favor for another. It doesn't really say anything directly. It has a lot of interesting commentary on the the arts industry in general. Mm. But it definitely isn't out to get anybody except for people who uh, are ashamed of their leper parents. So
0: <laughs> I think that's the other thing that was really frustrating to me about the mystery in this book is yeah. that, you know, there's obviously clues earlier on in terms of yeah. the uh, the leprosy and the history of the town that Lager biz- came from. That was a
1: bizarre scene it saying, was really like, we're going to go and look at the, the, li- the registries and the
0: lineages. I'm like, oh, okay, we're finally getting our answers. I think the <laughs> I thing guess. that was more difficult <laughs> about it was just that, it never came across as a theme of the novel. The reason mm. the sound gun doesn't frustrate me so much is because it yeah. fits into the general idea of the young and the old and the new technology. Yeah. Whereas the leper parent, yeah. like illness is not something that ever crops up in the story. We're never really tied in any yeah. way to I mean, Lager's I... history except through just Imanishi going there and finding that there were records missing. Yes.
1: I mean, I I talked to Flex a little bit about this before we we started here. The only clue that I really had to go on for the the why of the story, at least the big clue that you're supposed to figure out is that uh, Waga is ashamed of his parent because they're
0: a leper and they were taken to a sanatorium. Despite all of these complaints, though, herds, um, I think the one thing that really impressed me about the mystery in this book is just how timeless it is. Like, when I first started reading this for research, I didn't look into the novel much beyond just seeing, oh, it was, you know translated in the 21st century. So as, as I was reading through it, I thought to myself, oh, this must be one of his later works, you know, like 1980s, 1990s, because everything in it feels relatively modern. Yeah. Aside from a mention of World War Two, I think that this book could just be set in any time period whatsoever. and As long as it, it's trains. So let's be clear. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Big caveat there, but yes, I understand what you mean. But, like, you know, them them reading the newspaper, there's no real reason in the story that they couldn't just be reading it on a tablet. There's no real reason the phones they were using couldn't be smartphones. Yeah,
1: it uses pretty broad concepts, and not to mention the fact that because the murder weapon, This I'm going to compliment the murder weapon, yes. because it's such an outlandish sci-fi concept, you could set it in any time period and say, there's this new revolutionary technology. It's called ultrasonic peddler repellents and you'd be like wow that is new even if you sit in the 21st century be like that's insane that's crazy that's crazy so it's very easy to assume that's from any time period unless unless it's you're in a time period where there are ultrasonic peddler repellents mm-hmm. then i'm sorry uh it's too late for you You've i feel like the point i feel like by turn. the
0: time we have ultrasonic peddler repellents <laughs> we won't have ultrasonic peddlers
1: it's such a specific thing also <laughs> i love that joke that was perfect thank you oh it's bizarre Anyway, uh, I suppose... herds. does yeah. that mean it's time to bring in the new book? Yes, we're going to cut right to the chase on this one. Uh, I wanted to do something completely insane that will drive you up the wall. Here it comes. So we're going to be covering... So, so, so yes. Shush you. <laughs> we're recovering be covering Soji Shimadas, uh, the Tokyo Zodiac murders, uh, and we'll be covering everything up to the police confession. Uh, that includes the prologue and Act 1. Enjoy yourself. This is a, a a bumpy, crazy ride right from the get-go. I,
0: I will say, Herds, and Herds that this, this, so this is largely for your sake, we've both read a book that was very heavily influenced mm-hmm. by Soji Shimada's yeah. Tokyo Zodiac Murders. Do, do we? We're not allowed to mention it on the show. Oh,
1: that's right, the forbidden text.
0: But I'm expecting a difficult challenge for the points here yeah, because it, I feel like we both have a leg up in this story, yeah, Herds. I,
1: I want to uh, give out a warning to you who may be considering reading The the Tokyo Zodiac Murders, it is dense. It is a very dense novel. Good luck uh, trying to sift through the story on this one, Flex. I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of conclusions that you might come up with.
0: I'm I'm aware of its reputation, but I'm more than anything excited to get more into the Soji Shimada School of Crime Fiction, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is uh, one of the things that I feel led to Keigo Higashino's career, and that has been staggering to witness. So I'm very excited for this one.
1: Should be very informative. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, herds, thank you for joining me for Inspector Imanishi Investigates by Seicho Matsumoto. That is uh, a a good way to kick off the year. A really fun book. A very different tone to how we've kicked off the previous two years. Actually- it is. It is kind of a three-tapsey story. Just a I fun, was going to say, it's fun a bit bizarre,
1: one, strange ending. Yeah. Uh, lots of cool characters. No, uh, no old man scaling the outside <laughs> of the of the window though. with the fishing pole. No, we haven't seen that yet. Although I guess the fishing pole is kind of similar to a sonic gun in terms of murder weapons. <laughs> um.
0: Anyway, <laughs> thank you for joining us here on Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. You're listening to Two Ser 107.3.